are seeing this, you have been chosen. There are clues placed all around you, hidden in plain sight. If you can uncover the path, another world awaits you where anything is possible. Come with us. Did you just see Tomorrowland for the first time on Disney Plus? Feeling inspired? Is your imagination running wild with this new mythology? You've come to the right place. Welcome, all you newly minted dreamers, optimists, and junior Tomorrownauts. This is the Tomorrowland Times podcast, an unofficial home for fans of Disney's 2015 Tomorrowland movie and its expanded fictional universe, which we will be introducing you to today. Join us as we offer this beginner's guide to Brad Bird, Damon Lindelof, and Jeff Jensen's sci-fi family adventure and budding cult classic. I'm Nick. And I'm Hasten. And we want to start out this podcast today, first of all, welcome to the Tomorrowland slash plus ultra fold. This has been a long and adventurous journey for us over the last eight years. So we actually met, Nick and I met, because of this film, because of this movie and we went on an amazing adventure together and we decided that after that we were we were the dedicated fans for this film and so we decided to start a website tomorrowlandtimes.com which led to a podcast which led to you here in this very moment right now we launched that site a year before the film came out however just over two years before that is when we actually met at the beginning of what the world would know as the fictional universe of Tomorrowland. It was introduced through an alternate reality game that was a co-production of the Walt Disney Studios and Walt Disney Imagineering Research and Development in the summer of 2013 called The Optimist. And that is where all of this begins. There's Obviously, no way to replay The Optimist now. You can go back and do some digital archaeology and try and uncover some of what that content was. There are certain recap videos and live streams provided by Hasten, uh, and that gave us that initial ground floor understanding that there was this secret society of geniuses throughout history, Tesla, Vern, Eiffel, the gentleman we see in the film, as well as some others that were introduced in The Optimist as being part of that lineage, which of course led through Walt Disney himself. And there were many creative ways that The Optimist spread that fiction, not only across Disneyland, but across all of the greater Los Angeles area and some of the historical Uh, corners of the town that Walt Disney frequented. It was a really innovative, immersive, interactive way to get your first glimpse of that fiction. And I think any fiction that spreads itself out among the world and shows you the evidence of a story rather than telling you a story, we were telling the story to each other as we were playing. And I think in my experience, there's a huge degree of ownership that comes with that far more than just watching a movie or watching a TV show or reading a book. We were living the adventure of this film spread out through the real world. And there's just an intimacy and a personal touch that comes with that, particularly when there are live actors involved, which this experience had. And we were being allowed a little slice of the fiction to put ourselves into just this little window that they left open enough that we could come in and be these recruits for what would turn out to be this rogue recruitment robot, not unlike Athena in the film, Wallace, who 
was trying to find those dreamers and giving out those pins. The very first glimpse of that iconic pin design was at the very finale of this game. That's right. And I think during that now it was a it was a fixed eight week experience. And, you know, like one of my favorite things at the time is obviously I loved going to Disneyland. I loved everything when the, I saw that initial blog post and I read some of those first posts by our aspiring photographer, Amelia Moreau. It was one of those things where the moment that that park connection was really solidified, I was hooked. And my goal was to bring this to an audience online through Twitter, through live streaming. I mean, it's crazy to think that like live streaming basically wasn't a thing eight years ago. Things have changed so much since then. But it was one of those things where I felt this passion to bring this story forward. And for me, it became this ultimate sort of like, why don't why I want to take people along with us on this adventure. And so that's why we started Tomorrowland Times. And that's how we met due to The Optimist. I think a lot of the people who followed The Optimist at the time, those who couldn't come to the live events because there was a digital aspect that anyone could play all over the world on the internet. But then there were these live events that occurred that most of the players following along could not attend. And so many of them, their window into that part of the fiction was solely through Haston's live streams because really no one was doing it but him. And so you can look back at those now and see some of those live events, the Club 33 day where they took the players up to Club 33, an area which was usually sectioned off and not available to the general theme park attendees. The the story had three different live events that happened in the park. Um, on the Club 33 day, there was a mysterious phone call at the top of Club 33 from who else but the recruiter-in-chief, Wallace. And he provided us information, details, stories about the foundings of Plus Ultra and who was involved. And what did we find inside of the China cabinet at Club 33? We found a plate featuring the crest of Plus Ultra and several wine glasses from the founding members. Those original founding member initials, they didn't even spell the names out. It was just the initials of the members, but that was enough on its own to fire up the imagination. And certainly they would expand on that fiction as we continued through. There was even an interactive flash website for the Edison Square section of the park that was never built that had attractions dedicated to each of those founding members. But at the time, this was mythology we were experiencing as a totally original product. We didn't know at the time that this was connected to any upcoming film. There had been some rumors and whispers because uh, a picture of the 1952 box was accidentally uploaded to one of the uh, image folders that never actually surfaced on the website, but nothing public facing about the optimist openly said this is connected to the Tomorrowland film because that movie at this time hadn't even started filming yet. So this was really on the ground floor. You can't argue that this is necessarily advertising. This was more of an experimental project. This was one of Disney's first experiments with alternate reality games, with immersive experiences, with long interactive campaigns that lasted a matter of weeks and spread themselves out, not just across the theme parks, but across the real world as well. I mean... Talking about those real world experiences, you know, uh, Chili John's, a famous little diner, like you would go there and you would ask them for a side of pinto beans to go. And they gave you a physical can that you had to open that had a printed note 
inside. It was heavy. You thought it seemed like a real can, but once you opened it up, oh, it had been weighted down at the bottom with plaster, and there was just this piece of paper uh, with a message, a, a communication from one plus ultra member to another that had been left at one of Walt's haunts. That's what they called them. hashtag Walt's haunts. And there were others, of course, at more famous locations such as the Griffith Park merry-go-round, where there was this fantastic. Uh, leather strap that had been added to one of the merry-go-round horses and when you wrapped it in a particular direction around the pole and read it downwards it spelled out a message that was needed to uh, further the game online so in a lot of ways the players on the ground kind of became agents for the greater player base on the internet the extended worldwide player base because there were either pieces of information or puzzle pieces that were spread out that they needed to bring back so that the community could unlock the next digital step. And so it was this recurring cycle, this very satisfying core loop of things out in the real world that unlock virtual things that then led back to the real world and continued and so on and so forth. I believe that stretched all the way back to these wonderful table carvings you can still find to this day at Walt's Table 31 at the Tam restaurant in Los Feliz. So the, there are pieces of this game still lingering. Almost none of them are at Disney Parks. The only one that I could think of maybe is the screen that was used in the Optimus finale is turned off but behind a curtain in the Main Street Cinema. And even though we think of it as the Optimus screen, it was installed for a previous interactive experiment called Disney Kudos. So the Optimist used whatever canvas it could to get this story out there. And it was very memorable. And I encourage anyone listening who's curious about it, not only to dig around online, see what videos you can find. There's a wonderful wrap-up video that was officially produced by Imagineering. And certainly one of my proudest moments as a fan of Tomorrowland is the very end of the video features a screenshot of a tweet that I made right after the finale that I kind of summed up what I saw as the theme of the experience. And so I was very proud and honored to see my tweet featured in that video, of course. But in addition to all of that great stuff, all that digital archaeology you can dive into still, I encourage you to go back and listen to the very first episode zero of this podcast, The Tomorrowland Times Remembering Futures Past, where Hasten and I looked back and kind of compared what we thought the movie would be based on this game versus what the movie actually ended up being. And obviously we love the film, but there were years of speculation between them. And we had some fantastic ideas about that. Some of them were right. Some of them were very wrong. And so I do encourage all of our new fans to go back and listen to that very first zero with episode of this podcast. So we're at the optimist experience and the optimist experience has this massive finale that, in, that involves literally you go from the Anaheim Convention Center over to Disneyland. If you have admission tickets, you go through this amazing experience on, on, on the Lily Bell car and you solve this puzzle and you have this miraculous reveal of this secret society of this, of this hidden recruitment video. What also debuts at that D23 Expo, but... The 1952 box. And how does it debut? It debuts up on stage during 
the Walt Disney Pictures keynote presentation. Brad Bird and Damon Lindelof got up on that stage and they brought out this dusty old box. There are some clips of this online that have been strategically edited to omit some of the more uh, interesting bits, but I have yet to see any uh, full footage uh, surface from this presentation because they had asked folks to not film anything. And I don't remember, did they ask us to lock up our phones? They did for that experience. We did not have our phones. But what was interesting is that at the end of that panel presentation, they showed a not restored uh, slight bit of an animated clip that would end up being the origins of Plus Ultra animated short. That's right. They brought out of this box this laserdisc looking holographic clear acrylic disc with some fantastical sci-fi technology powering it. And I just love the irony of this moment because undoubtedly what they had was an unfinished animated short that they wanted to feature in the film originally, but ended up tacking on to the beginning of the film in some theaters. It wasn't finished yet. Pixar was still working on it. They were still animating it. So they didn't have the whole thing. And so they framed it not as this isn't finished. They framed it as this is all we could restore from this vintage 1960s video. You know, the the it's difficult for us to know how to access this disc. So this is all that we have. And I would love to look back at that unrestored quote unquote version because they had strategically either bleeped out or dropped out the sound or censored, redacted the name Plus Ultra. So anytime the name Plus Ultra would have been mentioned, we couldn't hear that in that audience, even though at the time we were familiar from The Optimist with a concept of a secret society of geniuses that had a logo that was a Plus U, even though we at the time thought it could be a TU. We didn't know because in The Optimist, even though we were introduced to all those historical characters and their fictional context, the name Plus Ultra was never used once in The Optimist. And so they were trying to preserve that, I think, in some way, even though when you look back at the 1952 box on that disc, there's a 60s wed style logo that says Plus Ultra on it. So really, that booth at which they showed off the contents of the box after that presentation on stage, the show floor had this tremendous Tomorrowland booth where they had framed all of these different artifacts that they had curated as the inspirations of the film. And there was this disc and it said Plus Ultra. And we couldn't have known at the time how important that would have been and what sort of place this would hold in the fiction. There's a stunning behind the scenes drama when it comes to the creation and uh, conception of the 1952 box. And that's something that will deserve its own episode when some of the parties involved are more willing to share their stories. But yes, this was an amazing confluence of events, having the optimist end, this presentation at the same convention, and then this exhibit that you could walk through with an iPad. And for a long time, that app lingered in the app store. You know, the Tomorrowland app, they kind of updated it a little bit, gave it a facelift for when the movie was coming out as a promotional thing, but it was created as an audio tour through this exhibit showcasing the 1952 box. So we come to the end of D23 Expo in 2013. Our fever pitch for this movie is insanely high because suddenly our minds are blown because it's all connected and we're waiting for the next thing. And the next thing would come. So what did we do? We do what any normal person does. We get on a plane, we fly to New York, and we go to New York Comic Con 2014. That's right. That was a linchpin moment for us. We had to make a decision. And the decision we made was, we're going to become groupies for this film. We are the Tomorrowland groupies. That was the decision we made in 2014 when we 
hopped on that plane and headed out to New York Comic Con 2014 for no reason other than to attend what would be the first and only Tomorrowland panel at a convention. Obviously, we saw a clip of the film before it was ready to go. It was that great clip with George Clooney at his front door of his house yelling at poor Casey saying, you think this was all designed for you, but it wasn't. You've seen this grand miraculous thing and it's not. And at that time, we were also facing this dilemma of there was no more game. We had played the game and now we were in the traditional marketing sector of this movie. I mean, here we are in New York. We're like, we're literally 150 steps away from the hotel where Tesla lived out the the end of his life. And what was in that goodie bag? They gave us an excerpt from what would become the prequel novel released before the film, Before Tomorrowland, written by Jeff Jensen and Jonathan Case. And in that little excerpt that we read, not only do we have little sketches from what would become the comic piece that was attached to the end of it, the passage they chose included written out the address of Tesla's hotel in New York, just blocks from where we were. We looked at each other and said, this is it. This is a sign. The game is starting version two. We talked a little bit about this in the Optimist recap, but this was the moment we were rushing out in the streets of New York. And when we got to that hotel and realized there was nothing there, I think some reality sunk in for the fact that the Optimist was this segmented experience off to itself, the first piece of fiction in this. And then we got before Tomorrowland. It was its own separate thing. These were not going to be this massive alternate reality game that spread across many years, a la the Why So Serious campaign for Dark Knight. And that book wouldn't actually be released until the April before the film came out. So not more than a month before the film was released would we get this next central piece of fiction. This book is fantastic. It is chock full of lore from this universe. And I think it's essential reading for anyone who is a new fan of Tomorrowland. If you're curious about the origins of this secret society, you can't go back in time and play the optimist, but what you can do is buy yourself a copy of Before Tomorrowland and read this book and learn about the growing pains of a secret society of geniuses that includes a lot of conflicting personality types. You know, the one mentioned in the film is the most infamous of them all, of Tesla and Edison, but there are so many more nuanced relationships, including all of the expanded uh, leadership of Plus Ultra. It really does take you through the history from the founding, from that first meeting they had at the top of the Eiffel Tower in 1889, all the way through to when they pierced through the veil of an alternate dimension and discovered what would become Tomorrowland. How was the first iteration of the city built? What did that look like? Now, what this doesn't explain is the Nix of it all. The film and Nix's involvement with the history of Plus Ultra is really left to the imagination of the fans. This deals with the founding history of Plus Ultra, and there's still this middle chapter of that between this book and the film where the fans really get to interpret what it all means to them. And one thing I love about the book is exactly like the film, exactly like what we experienced with The Optimist, you have these great main characters that go through this revealing story to discover Plus Ultra. And at the 1939 World's Fair, it's absolutely fantastic. And we have slated coming up here a book club in which we will discuss on the podcast in groups of chapters this book in great detail. And in terms of textual fiction... We would be remiss not to mention that this isn't the only Tomorrowland book that was released. 
there was in fact a junior novelization of the film based on one of the very early production drafts of the script. So it includes many differences from the final film, which we highlighted in our deep dive series over the last 12 episodes. But you look back at this, it was only released digitally in America, but throughout the world, it did receive physical print copies. For those collectors out there who want to have every piece of Tomorrowland fiction, I'd say you have to include the Tomorrowland Junior Novelization, written by Elizabeth Rudnick and narrated by Katie Shore, if you'd like to listen to the audiobook. So at this point in time, our fiction for the Tomorrowland universe begins with The Optimist, is greatly expanded with Before Tomorrowland, and then not long after that book is released... We have the launch of the advertising campaign proper with the website TakeMeToTomorrowland.com. Now, this website doesn't exist any longer exactly as it did at the time, but there is a mirror that was released by the web developers that is still active. So we'll link to that in the show notes so you can explore it. And what came with this, in addition to some fun little story bits about the expanded universe of Tomorrowland, including a memo from David Nix himself to one Steve Jobs, this site included the first full look we had at the Origins of Plus Ultra animated short. This is the other big pillar of the expanded Tomorrowland fiction. So back at the D23 Expo 2013, we glimpsed this unfinished Origins of Plus Ultra animated short footage that had been terribly redacted. Back then it was called The History of Tomorrow, but it would be renamed later The Origins of Plus Ultra. And when did that happen? When did we finally see it? We'd been waiting for so long to get another glimpse of this animation. And we got that when there was a special preview exhibit at Disneyland. The formerly Magic Eye Theater, now Tomorrowland Theater in Disneyland, showed a preview that included the opening World's Fair sequence with 4D effects lighting up and shaking the theater. And right next door, in the former Starcade, there was an exhibit of props and production art from the film. And on one screen, they were playing the animated Plus Ultra short, which had not yet been released and would be released online with the launch of the Take Me Tomorrowland website on the 21st of April, 2015. Now, initially, this was released in two halves that you had to find in different areas of the site. This website was fantastic. It had these wonderful 360 bubbles of environments from Casey's Pinvitation sequence. With a very, very dynamic 3D, you know, CSS-created models, like just not what we see for any sort of website promotion anymore, where we're lucky if movies even get a website. That's true. And this one was just so interactive, and it was hosted by Athena herself. Her voice guided you from one space to the next. And unfortunately, that is the one aspect that was not preserved by the developers in their mirror. So you'll just have to imagine that you hear Athena's voice guiding you through. But in these exhibits that they had virtually, you could watch the two halves of the Origins of Plus Ultra shorts, which were then assembled, and Brad Bird tweeted them out to the wide world, and everyone could see it. And this was, of course... The history in a nutshell of what Plus Ultra was, getting that idea associated with the film. Originally supposed to be in the film, we've talked a little bit about the deleted scene that was going to have Frank going underneath It's a Small World and having this quasi dark ride experience. And we're going to be having more interesting details about that deleted sequence in a future interview that we'll be having on our show. And I'm very excited to tell the world about that. It was understandably deleted from the film, but right before release, Brad Bird got cold feet and said, this movie needs this historical context. And so he tried to get as many theaters as he could to 
put the plus ultra short right on the beginning of the movie as the first thing you see getting you into this universe. So I think that alone speaks to how important this animated short is to the lore of this universe. And when you put in the DVD, buy the Blu-ray, pop it in, you get the option to play the movie with the short or play the movie without the short. So it's right front and center for anybody. It's such a vital part of the Tomorrowland fiction. I think eventually we will need to give it its own dedicated episode because some of the artists who worked on it at Pixar have posted some of their you know pre-production artwork and concept work from working on this. And I think there are a lot of little jewels of information that we still don't know about it that need to be unearthed through some research. So look forward to that in the future. So, Hasten, any good multimedia, transmedia franchise, whatever you'd like to call it, they include all different mediums, film, television, radio, books. What else? What other mediums do they have? One of my favorites, of course, video games. Now, you might be asking yourself, Nick, what are you talking about? Video games? There's no Tomorrowland video games. And Hasten, there are, in fact, technically two video game extensions of Tomorrowland, small and subtle as they may be, they exist and they warrant mention here. The first one was a series of power discs for Disney Infinity. So when Disney Infinity launched, which was this sandbox, toy box, toys to life game that Disney came out with, part of this strategy was everything involved with this would be intellectual property. And so one of the power discs packs that you could buy was the Tomorrowland landscape, the Wheatfield landscape, the time bomb from the film was one of the upgrades you could you could use for one of your characters. And the last thing was, I think, the, the ray gun. Ursula's ray gun. Of course, everyone's favorite Ursula, now that Catherine Hahn has burst herself into the public consciousness with WandaVision. She was originally Ursula Gernsbach, among many other great roles, of course. That was like the first touch of Tomorrowland that we got in the digital space. But there was another game as well that got released. That's right. And this is a mobile browser game that was released to advertise the film. And it is still live to this day. If you would like to play an infinite runner, if you enjoy this genre, taking place in the Tomorrowland universe, we have Race Through Tomorrowland, where you can play as Casey Newton, jumping back and forth from the wheat field to Tomorrowland, getting power-ups. And the goal is to stay in Tomorrowland as long as possible, a pursuit which we can all relate to, I'm sure. And for a web browser-based game made in 2015, I think this thing is pretty darn fun, especially because the end of each stage, which are considered levels of Tomorrowland, you're going deeper and higher through the stratosphere of Tomorrowland, involves you boarding a nonorail, nonorail, a monorail that flies just like in the film. I enjoy this game. It's simple, it's cute, and uh, it's fun. I enjoy playing it every once in a while, firing and it up and remembering. compared to how movies are released today, it feels ambitious. There was a time when Disney was all aflutter with Infinite Runner skins. I vividly remember the fun of Temple Run Oz. Do you remember Temple Run Oz? I remember Temple Run itself was an extremely popular game. Absolutely. And I think the Oz skin for Oz the Great and Powerful was maybe the greatest version of Temple Run they ever had. So, you know, this was a thing that happened at the time. This little historical artifact and one of those few websites from them that still is live now and you can go play it at your leisure. Disney Infinity's Tomorrowland. Disney's Disney Infinity's Tomorrowland power discs were one of the few items here that actually was released after the film came out. 
So this was something that I'm sure was too far along in production for them to have canceled by the time the film was deemed a financial failure. But yeah, this was something that came out afterwards. And most of the merchandise, most of the collectibles that you can get all came out before the movie was released in hopes of building up that hype and anticipation. But yep, Disney Infinity was one of those things that came out later. One of the other things that I would say signifies to a certain degree the final piece of Tomorrowland lore was a merchandise product that came out the Christmas after the film was released at the insistence of Brad Bird. He said to Disney, you have to have an Athena doll released for Christmas. And Disney Store made it happen, and it is a wonderful product. And on the back of that doll, on the packaging, is the final piece of writing that Jeff Jensen did for the Tomorrowland Project. So as usual with a film, we had a myriad of other merchandise release as well. There was a soundtrack release on CD, which to this day is fairly rare. And then we also had a series of action figures that got released. Some absolutely great reaction figures. That was the Super 7 Funko partnership. And they even released a preview figure all the way back at that New York Comic Con that we attended. We were lucky enough to get that first very limited edition of the young Frank Walker figure before we even had seen any sequences featuring young Frank Walker at that point. Uh, Then we, of course, had a series of Funko Pops as well. One for Frank, one for young Frank, and one for Nix. And to me, a huge oversight, and people mentioned this at the time, and I think it's still a huge bone to pick that I have. They did those three, but neither of the female leads. You had no Casey and you had no Athena, which to me were the two standout characters from the film. So I'd say if Funko wanted to do right for the 10th anniversary in a couple of years, they can release an Athena and a Casey Funko Pop. Then we had some Disney Store exclusive merchandise. We had some really neat pin sets, including a three pin set that included the 64 pin, the 84 pin, and a previously unseen, not in the movie, Nick's pin. That's right. That was a beautiful set. There was also the black and white rocket ship pin that harkened back to the 1952 release and the crew pin that they had a T-shirt of at that wonderful D23 Expo 2013 And there was also an exclusive Disney Store Online Plus Ultra t-shirt, which Brad Bird was very proud to blast out to his Twitter followers because he had designed the Plus Ultra logo himself. Interestingly enough, this shirt had a glow-in-the-dark feature with a hidden Tomorrowland pin logo behind the very brazen Plus Ultra logo. And I always thought, wouldn't it be interesting to have inverted that, where the Plus Ultra logo was glow-in-the-dark as Plus Ultra was the secret society and the Tomorrowland pin was the more public-facing design. But what do I know? So in summary and in conclusion, for those just coming into Tomorrowland fandom, the three big tentpole pieces of expanded fiction are the Optimist alternate reality game from 2013, the Origins of Plus Ultra animated short, and the wonderful Before Tomorrowland prequel novel by Jeff Jensen and Jonathan Case. There is so much wonderful storytelling for you to explore now that you're here. We're so glad to have you. And Go back if you're curious about the film, if you have questions. I think a lot of them might be answered by the previous 12-episode deep dive that Haston and I did here. Those aren't going anywhere. You have plenty of time. There's no rush. Take them one at a time. Really let this movie roll over in your mind and think about it from all those different angles. As many characters and situations as there are, those are different perspectives. You can look at this movie from, reinterpret it. It will grow with you. That has proven true for us through time. The way we feel about it now has evolved since it came out. And 
And certainly this is an enduring relationship that stretches far back before the film was released and it will far into the future. And we're so glad to have you on board now and can't wait to see what you contribute to the fandom because there is a whole world of Tomorrowland fan fiction, fan theory, speculation. This is a conversation that is ongoing. You now get to be part of that conversation and you are so welcomed here. And I can't wait to hear what you think about this film and revealing it to us in new ways through your eyes. That will be the greatest gift. As always, thanks for listening. For our first time listeners, welcome to the adventure. And we're still taking it just because this film came out, just because it was released on Disney Plus doesn't mean this is over. We want you to be a part of this. So if you have any questions or comments, feel free to drop us a line on Twitter at the Tomorrow Time or send us an email press at TomorrowlandTimes.com. That's P-R-E-S-S at TomorrowlandTimes.com. We want to thank everyone for visiting Tomorrowland Times, which we will keep alive as long as humanly possible to ensure that there is always a place where dreamers can can stick stick together. together. Have you ever wondered... What would happen if all the great thinkers decided to get together and actually change the world for the better? And the result was, well, miracles. Who are you? I'm the future. They're coming. She's full of surprises. We have to go! Please, I saw. It exists? Of course it does. But if you don't come with me, it won't for much longer. Dreamers need to stick together. Rated PG.